Hi there, my name is Erica Browning, and I am blown away by all the places your nursing degree can take you. Here, we showcase basic nurses doing some really cool things. My goal is to bring to you ideas, options, and inspiration. Think of this as a fun conversation with a friend where you laugh a ton and leave feeling encouraged and empowered. That nursing degree you worked so hard for is just the beginning. I'm here to show you what is possible. This is the Black Sheep Nurse Podcast. All right, we're on. Hi, Laura. Hello there. Are you, should we call you Dr. Laura? Doctor. <laughs> you can totally call me Laura. That's fine. My kids jokingly call me sometimes Dr. Nurse Mommy. <laughs> it's all the same to them. Kids are such a great equalizer, aren't they? They'll just... They are. <laughs> Well, tell everyone just a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go through your entire journey. Sure, absolutely. Um, so I am an, uh, a clinical associate professor at the University of Kansas School of Nursing, um, where I teach mostly in our undergraduate nursing program. But I also have this really cool job where I have a joint appointment, is what they call it, between teaching in the School of Nursing and actually working and doing some simulation-based training and some simulation research on the hospital side of things within the health system of the University of Kansas. So I kind of have my foot in the door of both places, the school and the hospital. Wow. So is it all under the same job or is it basically two different jobs? It's all under the same job. Yeah. Okay. They kind of chopped my job up um, so that part of it is teaching and part of it is doing research and training in the hospital. Well, when um, you know, I spoke to our mutual friend and she said, no, she's a simulation lab nurse. I said, well, what in the world is a simulation lab nurse? Because, you know, as this podcast is unfolding, discovering is that there's just so many things that nurses don't even know is possible for them to do. So before we get to, that's where you are now. Let, take us back, Laura. Where are you from and where did you go to nursing school? How did you even get into nursing? Yeah, so I am from this really small little town in rural Missouri, about 45 miles from St. Louis, Missouri. I, I always include that because people oftentimes will know where St. Louis is, even yep. though they may not know the small town that I'm from, Union, Missouri. Okay. Um, so grew up in a really small town and actually decided um, when I was graduating from high school that I kind of wanted to get out of that small town and see other things and go other places and meet other people. And so I actually um, went to school at Purdue University and went to school in their school of nursing and got my four year baccalaureate um, degree in nursing there in West Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> okay. Can I tell you how I know of Purdue? Yes. It, if you Google, I remember writing English papers in college, and I think Purdue has this. Um, Purdue Owl, the APA. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> that's where you went to get basic good information answers. So that's how I know. <laughs> right. They have a great writing resource um, program there, I guess. Yeah. Purdue Owl, like all college students know about it. <laughs> yes, I did. It saved me a lot from, yes. uh, you know, ha other than that, having to break out the handbook and having to right. type it in, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Bring all right. So you were there for four years. You got your BSN. I did. Um, did you go straight to the hospital? What'd you do? I did. I went straight to the hospital. I moved back to the St. Louis area yeah. um, and actually lived now in St. Louis, not the small town that I was from. 
Um, and actually started as a very new grad at um, a level one trauma center, um, was a ER and trauma nurse as a new grad um, at Barnes Jewish Hospital, which is one of the biggest premier academic teaching hospitals in the state and really in the nation. And whoo, got my education in the first few months working in that emergency department. I always tell my students, I learned more in the first few months of my job than I did in all of nursing school. Not to say that my education at Purdue was bad, but just learning curve straight up. (laughs) I mean, you can sit in classes all day Yeah, and the, the goal in education is make those classes better, make the simulation labs better, but it's going to, you're going to reach a point where it's like, okay, little birdie out the nest you go. And it is painful. (laughs) It was for me. I'm like you. I went into the ER right after I graduated and I was stressed. I was stressed. I think that might be, I I don't even know the, there's a word that exists to describe how I felt as a new grad. (laughs) And I'm not really one to get stressed, Mm -hmm. you know, per se. Um, I had to do breathing exercises to gear myself up and I had good preceptors. I had good support. I didn't feel alone. No, Um, but it was a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I never felt alone. In fact, you know, I think of all of the areas in which you can work as a nurse, being in the ER is one of them that's probably you're the least alone. Um, You know, it's so not only are you sort of like in the trenches with your fellow nurses, but it's also such a um, interprofessional kind of team that you work with in the emergency department right right alongside of the physicians and the residents and the attendings and the the respiratory therapists and you know all of the people that come into the emergency room you're never alone and that's actually one of the really good things about it that saved me a lot of times <laughs> I you know I feel like on the med search floors you know the doctors aren't right there you that's have right. to sometimes they are but you have to uh it's gonna say fax them you don't fax them you page them yeah. <laughs> call yeah. them something call like them, that right. mm-hmm. and I, I can think there are many times when I walked out of an ER room and I just was like I need help now. Yeah. Literally just stick your head out and call for help. Yep. (laughs) I want someone. I need another body in here. (laughs) That is exactly right. That sounds very familiar. (laughs) Okay. So you were in the ER. How long were you in the ER? Yeah. So I worked for a couple of years there at Barnes Jewish in the, in the emergency department in their trauma center. And really kind of always knew that I wanted to be an ED, you know, an ER nurse. That's kind of the reason that I went to nursing school in the first place and had gotten, you know, several years of good experience there. And then my next move was taking a travel nurse position um, after getting, you know, some experience and um, actually going to New York City and working as a travel nurse in an emergency department in New York for a year. So, you know, I, I don't know if a lot of people, some people may be sort of familiar with travel nursing, but it's, you know, these agencies that will um, place nurses in hospitals around the country and really around the world. And oftentimes it's these short little like three month contracts. So quite literally you could be in Honolulu for three months and then in Atlanta for three months and then, you know, Vermont for three months. And it's a great way to see the country and to travel and to do it in a way in which you're a little bit more than a tourist because you live there and you have a job there. And so it's a great opportunity for, for nurses to be able to kind of see the world and continue to work and get experience. Um, but I knew that I wanted to live in New York 
And I knew that probably travel nursing was the way in which I was going to be able to live in New York. Let's how, how shall I say um, the way that I wanted to live in New York, um, knowing that I probably couldn't afford to live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, half a block from Central Park on my own. But the travel yeah. agency, um, one of the beautiful things about that is that they provide your housing. And they paid paid for my housing, my utilities, and also still got paid for my emergency department nurse position. Um, So I just kept renewing my my three-month contract over and over and over again to stay in the same same apartment, the same hospital in New York for over a year. (laughs) You just got to do the city. Just yeah, do it, it was just one of those things that I like had always wanted to live in New York. Um, I wasn't married yet. I didn't have kids. It was just like that time in my life where I knew like, I'm going to do this. I need to do it now. And I'm so glad that I did. You have your PhD now. So there must have been at some point where you're like, I want to go back to school. I want to yeah. do this. Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So at, at the end of my year or so in New York, um, I'm going to be really honest. I was tired. I was a little burned out. I had now at this point worked in the emergency department in one hospital or another for multiple years, working always nights. And as much as I learned and as much as I, you know, really formed into the nurse that I was sort of meant to be in working in the emergency department, I also knew my limitations and I thought it was time for a break. And to kind yeah. of see maybe another part of nursing and do something else. I had also done a lot of like precepting of new grads in the emergency department and um, precepting of students during that time. And I really started to think, huh, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be an ER nurse my whole life. And I think I'm actually really interested in nursing education because I really find this like mentoring, guiding, teaching um, relationship that I've had with like these new grads or these students that come through um, the emergency department. I've really enjoyed them. And I think I could maybe be good at that. <laughs> so at that point, um, I moved again um, to Philadelphia. I At that point, I had gotten married and my husband's job took us to Philly. And um, yeah, so then when I, when I got to Philly, I actually started grad school at the University of Pennsylvania, focusing on nursing ed. Okay. Yeah. And was that, did you have to get a master's first and then go into PhD or how yeah, was it? Yeah. So I got my master's and then when I finished up my master's there at Penn, I began teaching and you can certainly teach as a nurse educator with a master's degree, but, but you certainly also hear once you start in that, that area of academia, you start to hear, okay, now when are you going back to get your PhD, right? Like you start to hear this over and over again. And so eventually I was like, yeah, it's going to be something I have to eventually do, (laughs) even though I could still teach with just my master's. And so I did that. I taught at Penn for four years before, again, we left and moved somewhere else. But, but yeah, you can definitely teach with, with just your MSN. Okay. So did you get your PhD from University of Penn as well? No, actually. So at that point we moved to Kansas city for my husband's job again. And I actually started uh, teaching at the University of Kansas at that time. And then several years after that, went back and started working on my PhD. And I actually went back and got my PhD from Villanova University, which is actually ironically right outside of Philly, even though I've now moved to Kansas City. But they had a great program. It was, it was an online program, but it was synchronous. And what I mean by that is I still had to get on the computer and have actual face-to-face interaction with my professors and with my cohort of other students. So so um, I really felt connected to the school and connected to my um, cohort, even though it was an online program. 
but it was great. And they really, they they have a, a specific nursing PhD program that focuses on education. I was going to ask, because I feel like, and I feel like this is the ma- way with master's programs now, most of the PhD programs are for DNP. Yeah. And most of the master's programs are to become an, an NP. Right. And that's all great and good, mm-hmm. but I, what if I don't want to be an NP? Yeah. I feel like there are fewer choices. Yeah. Is that your experience as well? Well, I think that's something that I think is really important to be to send a clear message to people, to nurses out there that, yeah, no, just to get back, to go back and get your master's or to go back and get your doctorate does not always have to just be a DNP or to become like a nurse practitioner, as you mentioned, like an advanced practice nurse. There's so many other areas that nurses can go into with an advanced degree that's not just, and I don't mean just, but not just one area to go into. So leadership, informatics, community and population health. Um, Obviously, nursing education is the track that I chose to go into. But um, yeah, there's so much more out there than just like the the maybe the one thing that people think of the most. That's that's a great point, actually. Yeah. Well, side note, I've always wanted to get my master's just for myself. I mean, there's not really anything I need for it. I don't need it for my day job as a case manager now. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to start a podcast. Right, I don't need it to start a business. I don't need any of this. Right. Um, but it's just something I've always wanted to accomplish. And so I was looking into it and there were masters of nursing and maybe leadership, which would fit what I would be interested in. And you can do a dual degree, get your MBA. Yes. Yes. Well, that appeals to me. But Laura, I'm tired. <laughs> so you. much work. It's so much work. <laughs> well, I looked into it, I would say the past month, and I've since decided I can't this year. Yeah. I just physically can't. But that's out there, and it's really exciting. I'm going to do it one day. I'm going to do it. I love that. I believe that you will. I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I won't be told no, no Laura. Absolutely. That's my facility. I mean, that's my uh, personality. Yes, you know? I love that. I one day. (laughs) All right. So you come to Kansas, you get your PhD in education, Mm -hmm. and then you would teach for Kansas. So what then? Uh, So I'm sorry, what'd you say? Uh, So what then? You start teaching for Kansas. Okay. Yeah, so so I started teaching for Kansas like while sort of before I started to get my PhD, all during my coursework, and then you know have remained here after my PhD. And the thing for me, yes, you do hear that drumbeat in academia of like when you're going to get your PhD, when you're going to get your PhD. But honestly, I was kind of excited and ready to do it because I was what I found was that there was this one big question that kept coming up in my, in my educational career that I wanted to start to like explore and get some answers to. And, um, that is kind of, I think what a lot of nurses who have been through nursing school have experienced. And that is this, what we refer to in academia as the education to practice gap. And we have all felt that as, as nurses, right? There's a huge difference between nursing school and graduation and going and getting your first job. Kind of like we just talked about with my ER transition, right? Of like, holy smokes, this is not school anymore, right? And it's so different. And I don't really feel prepared, even though I spent however many years in school. 
And so I started to hear this now, not only did I experience it in the ER as a new grad myself, but I started to hear this a lot from my students as well. And that they, I, um, by the way, I teach here at the university of Kansas, I teach, um, the undergraduate pathophysiology class, which is kind of like the study of disorders, diseases in the body and what nurses have to be thinking about and what they have to do with all of the diseases. And so, you know, I would have students come in and say things like, you know, I do really well in your class. I get good grades. I feel like I do well on the exams. I understand what's going on in class. But then, you know, I, I come to your class on a Monday, let's say, and then I go to clinical on Tuesday and we have a patient with the exact same thing, the exact same disorder that we talked about in class. And yet I feel completely unprepared of like how to actually care for this patient, what to do, you know, like literally what to do with my hands with this kind of patient, right? Right. And, and why? Because I did good in your class. So why do I feel so still lost in, in clinical practice? And for the longest time, I would tell students, oh, you know, that just comes with time and experience. And you kind of have to see the same types of patients over and over again before you kind of start to anticipate the patterns and what to do and feel comfortable with what to do. And we call that clinical judgment. And that just comes with time and experience. And it'll come after you graduate. I started thinking, okay, yeah, that's true. Like clinical judgment does come with time and experience and it takes a while to accumulate, but there's got to be something better that I can do as their educator to help them bridge that gap between school and clinical world more seamlessly, more easily, less painfully, and and less scary. I mean, they're just scared to make that jump from sitting in the classroom to actually taking care of real life patients. And so I started to think, yeah, there's got to be something else better that I can do to help them bridge that gap quicker, easier, and less painfully. Um, And that's where my big interest in simulation really has, has come to light and has really taken off in my career. Because I started to think, what if we could simulate? What if we could bring the way that the clinical world looks better into and kind of merge the lines right between classroom and clinical practice. What if we make the classroom look more like clinical practice so that as they're learning, we're, we're quite literally mimicking what the real world will look like whenever they get out um, into practice. And so that's what I focused on for my research, for my dissertation, for my PhD, is the effect that in-class simulations, not just simulations in the sim lab, but actually bringing simulation into the classroom, what effect that has on nurses' clinical judgment development. Wow. Okay. So what did you find? It does. It helps. I I am happy to say that there was a statistically significant increase in the clinical judgment development of these students when over a 16-week semester in pathophysiology, they got three different days within the semester where we didn't do class, we didn't do a lecture, we did this hands-on simulation kind of experience in the classroom. And even just three Three exposures to this in-class simulation way of learning in the classroom significantly altered and significantly improved their clinical judgment from the beginning of the semester until the end of the 16-week semester. Wow. So how did you measure that? Yeah, good question. So while we were doing these in-class simulations throughout the semester... Um, it was very like observational for them. So we, I would like pre-record a simulation and then show it on the big screens in the classroom for which um, the, the students would watch. And it was always a, a patient 
simulated scenario about something that we had just talked about in the didactic portion of the class. So for example, if we had just talked about, you know, pulmonary disorders and COPD, then in the next day in class, we would do a, they would observe this pre-recorded simulation of two students from the class um, taking care of a patient with a COPD exacerbation, for example. And I had specific questions that as they observed this scenario play out right before their very eyes on the screens, I had specific questions that I wanted them to be thinking about to sort of engage them in their observation, to be thinking about, you know, what did the what did the nurses notice? What was wrong with this patient and what did they do about it and how did they respond? And then how did that work? And just really kind of getting them to think like a nurse, right? again, what we call clinical judgment. Um, so they did this three times throughout the semester. But yeah, what I really wanted to know is, does learning like that in the classroom actually change their own personal clinical judgment skills? And so what mm -hmm. I had them do throughout that same semester that they were observing in the classroom, um, they themselves then had to go to the sim lab. Um, at different times throughout the semester and participate themselves in a hands-on simulation where then uh, myself and my research team would observe them in the simulation lab. And there's a tool, there's actually a, a, um, a validated tool called the Lassiter Clinical Judgment Rubric that it actually is an observational checklist basically that has like behaviors of nurses and doing clinical judgment and whether or not you can sort of check off, you know, yes, they participated in clinical judgment or no, they didn't and give them like a, a, a number, a score. And so three times throughout the semester, we would have them go to the sim lab and do a sim themselves to see if what was happening in the classroom was making a difference in how they performed in the sim lab and measured them three times in that area over a 16 week semester. And that's where we really were able to statistically say that, yeah, based on this tool, every time they came back, they significantly improved. I love that idea of, you know, going over, let's say COPD in class yeah. and then immediately, yeah, immediately a sim is about COPD. That's right. Instead of, okay, we've kind of gone to class for weeks now, and now I'm going to show up at a simulation lab and, try to remember what was taught. I think that immediate reinforcement exactly. is- Exactly. And sometimes, you know, depending on the curriculum and the layout of the program, sometimes you might not even ever get a COPD simulation, even though you talked about it in class, you know? Right. Um, or you may not see a COPD patient in clinical for months to years, even though I, you just had it in class. And so a lot of times, you know, what I have noticed in my career is that what happens in the classroom and then what happens in simulation and then what happens in clinical within a nursing program, sometimes never the three shall meet. And right. you don't really get to have that reinforcement or that contextualization of seeing it in seeing it in the classroom, then getting it in sim, then getting it in clinical. And wouldn't it be great if we, it always worked that way? But it doesn't. But at least with these in-class simulations, I can do exactly what you just said is ensure that they are getting some sort of contextual, experiential kind of nursing experience right after they learn it. And it really helps solidify that knowledge and helps it stick in their heads. Right. Well, I feel like nurses, most of their simulation experience comes from BLS. Yeah. And ACLS. That's right. And that's, right. That, that's very true. And one of the reasons why, you know, when our friend told me about what you're doing, I'm like, this is so cool because I had no idea that nurses even had a role and simulation labs oh, yes. at all. A big role. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. A big role. Yeah. So who runs your lab? 
Yeah, so so we have a we have a simulation lab here in the School of Nursing that is nurse run. Um, it, you know, there's a director and there's um, techs that help out. And yeah, most simulation programs and most simulation labs will have, you know, what we refer to as high fidelity mannequins. So they are electronic. They're hooked up to a machine and a computer that we can actually have, you know, a mannequin in a room where this where the learners are, where the nurses are doing a simulation. And then behind kind of a, a mirrored wall, you know, is the actual computer that's running the mannequin. And so you can have a faculty member behind that window, if you will, controlling the mannequin. So the, the mannequin can speak. Um, the mannequin has vital signs where we can actually you know, feel their pulse, check their blood pressure, look at their look at their breathing. They can sweat. Like I said, they can talk. You can start an IV or put, you know, give an injection into it. So high fidelity means that it's like as realistic as possible. And some of these mannequins are so high tech in that they are just a great way for people, especially novice nurses, to learn and to try things new that they've never done before in a really safe place um, where these mannequins have reset buttons. And you know, we can start over if you make a mistake in a very different way, obviously, than you know if we were doing it with real patients in the hospital in, in clinical. Right. I, I love the idea of these, uh, what did you call them? High, High fidelity. Yeah. High fidelity yeah. mannequins. I wonder if for the smaller programs, these can't be cheap. No, they're these, not. <laughs> simulation, these simulation labs, nurse run simulation labs, and the actual equipment can't be cheap. No, it's a lot of resources. Uh, yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. But if you can show, like with your PhD, your dissertation, no, we're increasing clinical judgment. Yeah, the nurses are better when they they're come better. out of school right. with this sort of of instruction, I bet you could get better buy-in. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what's interesting, as you were saying that, what really came to my mind is, you know, we're always looking in nursing and in education for, um, you know, doing the, the best practice, right? So everything that we have, that we do in nursing is supposed to be evidence-based because it's been studied and it's been researched and there's data and there's outcomes about this strategy or this intervention. And that's no different in nursing education, you know, the way that we teach and the strategies that we use in teaching are supposed to be evidence-based. And what's really interesting is that of all the different types of teaching and the different types of strategies in education and nursing, simulation is actually one of the most supported by data and by evidence because there has been such an uptick in simulation-based research in the last probably five to 10 years. So it's definitely been shown to be an evidence-based strategy to do a lot of great things that nurses need, not just clinical judgment, which is my expertise and my focus in research, but, you know, increases their confidence, increases their communication skills, increases just their overall knowledge, increases their ability to like prioritize and delegate. There's so much research out there showing that what a, an amazing effect and outcomes from simulation. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of data to back that up, even though it's high resource and high intensity and, and expensive, we know it works. Yeah. Right. Well, I, if I remember correctly, and you can tell me if this is your experience as well. Going into the simulation labs, you were always afraid. You're always afraid because that is where all this didactic information, all this information that you've been fed by fire hose is going to get applied. Right. And you were like, er, I don't know. But that fear, fear often in my experience, uncovers the real problem. Yeah. You know, if you're about this, 
this is exactly where we need to go. Yeah. If this is where <laughs> so, you don't feel confident, is this if this is what is scaring the daylights out of you, then let's let's practice this. Let's do this in this really safe place of of sim before you go to a, a not unsafe place in in clinical. And so we actually focus a lot. It's funny that you bring up this idea of like fear in simulation mm-hmm. because we also focus a lot on and here's another kind of term that we throw around a lot in sim in um, psychological safety in simulation oh. that it, we, we really focus on this is a safe place. This is a safe place to make mistakes. We're, you're not here because we're going to try to ha 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 get you making a mistake and, and embarrass you in front of all the faculty or all of your classmates. It's actually quite the opposite. They're like, let's make sure we have mutual respect for each other. We're going to hold this basic assumption that we're all in this together, that we're, none of us are going to be perfect, but we're all smart and capable and intelligent and want to get better and improve. So we're going to all hold each other to that sort of basic assumption of mutual respect and really push ourselves. That's what I always tell my students, really push yourself to the very end of your, of your ability, because this is how we're going to stretch and grow is by getting like super duper uncomfortable in this really safe place. And that's how you're going to get better for the, for clinical practice. Yeah. Well, and I have to imagine that you almost want them to make mistakes. And then I'm going to show you what happens when you make that mistake. That's right. So if you have a heart failure patient and the nurse, I don't know, for some reason chooses to give a liter of fluid, it's not going to work out well. And I bet you they remember it. That's right. And you, and exactly like we talked about before, you can absolutely, based on that high fidelity mannequin and that computer, you can absolutely change the status and have the, the patient's you know, condition deteriorate and have those nurses experience that again, not to scare them, not to penalize them, but to show them in a safe environment, this is what happens. And now you're not, you're going to remember this and you're, and this is going to change you and your practice, you know, in the hospital will be forever different because of it. Well, and I think this is so awesome because again, I, I imagine most nurses don't even think about it. They just kind of show up to the simulation lab and then do their thing and then off they go. No, this is where nurses are having impact. This is nurse run. Nurses are doing research projects about this and they're the ones who are affecting change that affects you as the nurse. And so that was so cool. I'm like, I want to have her on. I want to highlight. This is yet another way nurses are impacting for the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so much to what's happening in simulation right now that is absolutely what you said. Nurse run, nurse researched, nurse delivered, and then on to like nurse disseminated, right? It's so important mm-hmm. that we then get out there and publish the findings of these things and speak at conferences and, you know, get this knowledge out there. That's why I'm so interested in, you know, a, a podcast like this to be able to, you know, have a voice and being able to spread the news, if you will, um, about, mm-hmm. again, like you said, another way that nurses are out there making a big difference in ways that you don't necessarily know about. Right. Um, So if a nurse was like, wow, I think that's kind of cool. I want to get involved in simulation labs. Is it only via PhD? What other avenues? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, you know, no, absolutely. I mean, you do by no means have to have a PhD to get involved in a simulation program within a school of nursing. As I mentioned, um, master's prepared nurses teach in our simulation faculty as well. Um, The other thing that I will kind of throw in there, Erica, is that not only does simulation-based training only happen in an academic setting like a school of nursing, but to kind of tie in what I was telling you earlier about my other role 
in the hospital, not just nursing students get trained by simulation as well. So my job over in the hospital side of things is to ensure that now that these new these nurses have left, you know, have left school, have graduated, and now they're transitioning into practice in a hospital job. You know, now they're an ICU nurse. Now they're an ED nurse. Now they're a acute progressive care nurse. They're not they're not completely ready to practice. And we know that, you know, as they transition to practice. And so a lot of simulation work that nurses do can also happen on more of the like practice clinical side as well. And I participate in simulations um, as and the other part of my job with new graduate nurses who are like still in their orientation at the hospital, okay. who are in some of the nurse residency programs. Um, and so, yeah, there's nurse educators. If there's people who are interested in being a part of simulation on the hospital side too, that's not even in active academia, but you can still be a part of simulation on the, the actual um, practicing nurse side as well. Okay. I see. I didn't know that either, yeah. but that makes a ton of sense. And what a great way, you know, to get these new nurses. Okay. You're here. We're going to put you in front of real patients, but we still have these opportunities for simulation yeah. and learning. Extra training. Absolutely. Upskilling. That's what I, that's what I refer to it. Upskilling the, the new, the new workforce, you know, and making sure they, they really are practice ready. Yes, they graduated and yes, they passed boards and that's all great. Um, but we still need to continue to develop them as they transition into their first jobs as well. Okay. So does in general, would you say that simulation jobs or simulation training falls under an education department? Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I guess another, another sort of side note is I've interviewed, I think it was episode three. Uh, he and I worked in the ER together, Todd, but he went on to be a nurse educator before fire department. Yes, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, but so that still is under nurse education, but even the umbrella of nurse education is vast. You can so do, true. you know, you can do for fire department, you can do simulation labs at the hospital or at a university yes. or. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Which, you know, honestly is one of the cool things, not only about nursing education, but just more broadly about nursing in general is that, and I tell my students this all the time, you know, there are so many different ways that you can go all with a nursing degree. And Mm -hmm. not only once you pick one way to go, does that mean that then in five to 10 years that you can't switch to another track and still be a nurse, right? Still have a completely you know, different maybe focus or, or track to your career, but because you're a nurse and you have a nursing degree, so many of these opportunities are open to you um, and open so many doors because you're a nurse. Well, I'm so glad you said that because on my Instagram where I, you know, market the podcast, talk about the pod- podcast, it's always about, you know, my posts um, are generally about, okay, you're you're burned out on nursing. Okay, gotcha. You don't have to leave the profession. That's exactly right. You don't have to. That's exactly you can right. pivot. That's exactly and right. And the whole point of these interviews are saying, hey, this person's a nurse. Maybe you're burned out at job X, job right. Y. Does this interest you at all? That's right. Go forth. That's exactly and pursue right. It. That's exactly right. You do not have to leave the profession. Um, right. There are so many other ways to go as a nurse. And and that doesn't, and also, I guess I'll be clear, that also doesn't mean that what experience you have had maybe in a different track or a different area of nursing won't serve you very well in something new that you've chosen, right? You have that wisdom, you have that experience, you have that just kind of, you know, life experience that will serve you very well and carry over into another track of nursing. But, and again, like you said, by no means do you have to completely leave. That's true. 
Well, and I can tell you, because my past clinical experience was ER and ICU. Yeah. Now I'm a case manager. Yeah. I use all of that. Every single bit Great of Great example. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I bet yeah. all of that experience that you've had in critical care and ED, also there's some, there's some knowledge and skills and expertise from there that you can bring to your current career. And I just think it makes you even more, more well-rounded and perhaps more of an interesting person because you have that past experience, you know? Laura, I am so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Someone via the hospital side or the uh, university side, if they a nurse was interested in the simulation lab, do they need a master's? Should they be thinking about that? Or can you, as a bachelor's, run some simulations or somehow be involved? Yeah, I think mostly, I'll kind of give you two answers. I think mostly on the academic side, it would be great to have a master's just because okay. oftentimes that's what they're looking for in nursing education on the academic side in general, not just for simulation, but just in general. To be an okay. academic nurse educator, they want you. They're you know most people are going to want you to be masters prepared. Um, but on the okay. hospital side, I would say probably not as much. That there there okay. can absolutely be BSN prepared nurses who can get into teaching. And in fact, I know many of them um, who get into teaching or at least facilitating simulation based training in the hospital with a BSN and do a great job. That's good to know because not everyone wants to get their master's, but they may still be interested or absolutely. they may want to get their master's. Absolutely. Either way is fine. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on. And I, this is such a special conversation and specialty that I think nurses need to know about. So I yeah. really appreciate you sharing. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I can literally talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's perfect. You want someone who loves what they're doing. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Black Sheep Nurse podcast. If you want more, head on over to blacksheepnurse.com for show notes and resources from today's episode. You can also join our email list and the website and have the link to weekly notes delivered directly to your inbox. And if you're looking for more everyday fun and community, join us on Instagram at blacksheepnurse.com.